0: Welcome to the podcast of Revival Life Church, a spirit-filled, multicultural church in Boca Raton, Florida. If you would like more information about Revival Life Church or Pastor Carl Thomas, you can find us on the web you at RevivalLife.Church. If turn church. your Bible
1: to Luke chapter 5, I'm looking forward to being with you this morning. I, I uh, have a word in my spirit, hopefully I can articulate it properly. Last week in Luke chapter 5, we're we're in our our Luke message series. Uh, We are working our way through the book of Luke. Now, we're not going to go line by line, verse by verse, uh, because we could do that the rest of your salvation. Uh, I recently heard a story of a pastor who decided to start uh, preaching exegetically. He started in John and the person said the entire time uh, I was in that church, by the time the pastor retired, he got the Philippians. And so they'd never heard a teaching out of the Gospels again. Um, and so, you know, you can get a little silly with these things, but um, we're, we're, we're teaching our way through the book of Luke. And uh, it's important uh, that we understand the scriptures. I thank you for reading it. Now, listen, we're going to be in Luke chapter six next week. And so I've got a little homework for you. Watch this. It's radical. Read Luke six. Right. Like open your Bible. Find the book of Luke, get to the sixth chapter, read it. Let, 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 let's, let's have a little understanding as we go through things. Is that, are we okay with that? Yeah, are we good? Are we good in the back? Oh, see, no, see, see? You caught him slipping. Catch that? You okay in the back? Yeah, okay, we're good in the back. Listen, as we get into the scriptures here, as, as we get into, um as we get in the scriptures here, um, last week, if you remember, uh, Jesus had gotten to Simon. And he had called Simon to follow him. But before he called Simon to follow him, I don't want to preach this message again, even though I want to preach this message again. Uh, He had called Simon to follow him. And if you remember, Simon had his nets cleaned and put away after failure. And he was done. And Jesus said, go on and do it. And he did it again and then came into success. After he came into success, Jesus said, you're going to follow me. I don't know if y'all caught the message. I talked about Tyler at length last week. I don't know if y'all caught it. If you didn't catch it, you want to catch it. He was a prophetic. Tyler was a prophetic sign in my message. Anybody remember? Anybody remember? Yeah, it was a prophetic sign in my message last week. It was good stuff. If you didn't catch it, you want to catch it. And so he had this miracle catch. And then uh, after he had the miracle catch, he he called Levi. Some people believe that Levi is Matthew. There's some debate on that, but this in Luke, he calls him Levi Uh, and in him calling Levi to follow him. He also uh, got James and John to follow along. Now, as we follow through Luke chapter four, we see that uh, uh, Jesus then immediately after he got some disciples, he starts healing some people. They start getting uh, delivered of of demons, uh, of the oppression of the enemy. He begins uh, healing the sick. And um, he made the sick happy and he made the religious mad, right? He made the religious people actually not mad. They got scared. And I don't know about you. I want to live a life that the religious people get scared when I come around, right? I, I, want, I, want, I want my faith to disturb dead religion. Can you say amen? I, I, want, I, want, I want what God does in my life to make people who think they got God figured out uncomfortable, that's what I want. I want. I want them to be... You ever been uncomfortable in your relationship with God? You ever think you got God figured out and then He doesn't do something you wanted Him to do and you get uncomfortable? Has that happened to you? Uh, I, I have done that and um, I've had... Um, um, you know, we, we all have seasons uh, of expectation. And we have expectations of God and then God doesn't do what we want Him to do and we become greatly disappointed. What I call that um, is living in the facade of religion. And what that means is we have built an image of God and God has chosen to not live up to our image of Him and instead has invited us into His trueness and our own true identity. You cannot be somebody else. You are not created to be somebody else and any other person that you emulate is a false you. Right. And so any any time God does something for you outside his will is you worshiping a false God. Right. And so it's our greatest desire and our greatest joy to follow the true living God. Now, it's easy for us to look at the Bible, knowing the end to see how the Sadducees, the the Pharisees and the Essenes they got it wrong about Jesus because we know the end. But they didn't know the end. They only knew the image of God that they had created. And Jesus came in and destroyed that image of what the Messiah would look like. And so we have to read the Scriptures. Um, We have to read the Scriptures understanding these are people. These are people who were expecting something and got it wrong. And they're trying to wrestle with, what do I do with this God I was expecting to do something, and He didn't do it. Now, I'm going to say something right now, and I'm, I'm going to ask you, even though we're a spiritual church, I'm going to ask you not to respond negatively or positively for a moment. Let me finish the sentiment, please, right? Because you could react too soon, and then you'll feel awkward. Does, does that make sense? Like, you laugh in the middle of a story, and you're like, yeah, but then they die. You're like, ooh, shouldn't have laugh? That was... So I kind of want to help you, uh, uh, you here. Don't don't react to anything until, until the end. Um, uh, what, I, you know, there, there are... Um, I, there's, there's two prophets that I personally know um, that I have been grieved about the trajectory of their ministry in the last five, six, seven years. It, it, it grieved me uh, because um, both of them, um, one in particular, it had a great impact on my life. He spoke a, a word over me when I had first gotten saved. Like I mean, I was like new, new. And I had a life plan and then God had interrupted my life a little bit And I was like, oh my gosh, am I supposed to continue on this trajectory? I was in my mid-twenties. I had just gotten saved. I was preparing for law school. My whole life was mapped out. Jesus came in and saved me. I had already been in the military. And I finally um, came to the realization, maybe God has other plans for my life. And that was scary. And I was desperate for someone to come and speak a word of wisdom into my season to help me uh, and, and I was in a very large church and it was a very long meeting as prophets like to do. And uh, at the end of this very long meeting, uh, he called me out and he told me that there was a call of God in my life. Long story short. And he spoke a prophetic word over me that I have watched unfold for over 20 years. It is like, it it it, it choked me up a little bit to think about how significant this man was in my life. In the last five or six years, in his ministry, I was just like, we are going a little crazy here, bro. Like, like I'm... Like I don't think God is saying any of those things, and uh, he and in the movement I was a part of for many years was another prophet who was the son of very significant people. They both died this week of coronavirus, and um and I'm just like this is this is tragic. Your false picture of what God was saying led to your death. Ah, that hurts so bad, and and so there's part of the people uh, who are like. Good for you. Stood on your convictions. And then there's part of us who are like, use them as an example. Shame them. And I'm like, oh, neither of those feel like Jesus, right? Right? Like, these are people that God loved. And they died tragically. And they died in the midst of deception. And now you can react. That's bad. Right? Like, oh, they had an image of God. And they were confident. And they stood on what they believed to be true. It just so happened it wasn't true. Ah. And if you don't see yourself in that picture, it's time to get a little more human, right? Like, like it, it's time to, to understand, like, man, we all are getting it wrong at times. And these people in the Scriptures, that Jesus, like, we laugh at His rebuke of them, but my God, that, that could be any of us expecting God to come through, and He didn't because that never was His plan. And sometimes God doesn't come through to just let us know, you have reached the dead end of wrong revelation, right? And so and so in the scriptures, we see these these Pharisees, and God's like, ah, I, I want to help you out because I love everybody, but I just can't go down that road with you. I just, I can't go where you're trying to take me, right? They want to make him king, and he's like, ah, I, I, I'm so happy that you want to restore what was, but that's not what is to be. I just can't go there with you. And so we're caught in this What do we do with these emotions of hurt and disappointment and disillusionment? Like I was sure this was God and now it clearly wasn't. And so we have to recognize the humanity of these people that Jesus is rebuking. And so he's out here, he's healing the sick, he's cleansing lepers and the religious people are getting scared Because their faith in God is now the source of their political power. And that means if they're wrong, they lose power. And scared people do bad things. You see people at their worst, or let me say it this way, people see us at our worst when we're scared. right? When we're scared, that brings out the worst in us. And and, and so here we have the Pharisees, and they're like, we're, we're not giving up our power. Like, this is this power we've negotiated with Rome, that's how we've stayed Israel. Like, we can't give that up. If we give that up, what do we have left? Well, what you have left, when you give up everything, is God. When you've come to the end of everything that you're holding on to, then you get God. And not until you give up everything else do you get God. You cannot go to God with anything but complete, open hands and draw near. It's impossible. It's impossible if you say, God, I'll give you everything except. Or you say, God, I will do anything if. If you have any if, if you have any but, if you have any except, then you've not fully been committed to God. And I do not speak that as a word of judgment. I speak that as a word of saying, man, our humanity makes it hard to trust the living God. Amen. Is anybody feeling what I'm saying this morning? Now I'm only speaking this because I believe God wants to do something in our lives this morning. You gotta watch watch what happens when you decide to really get on fire for God. When you decide, listen, I'm 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 whatever that looks like to you. I'm going to begin witnessing to the lost. I'm going to bring up Jesus in my social circles. I'm going to serve at church regularly. When you begin to be fully given to the Lord, when you begin to go to God and actually open hands, watch what happens to the friends around you. Here's where you're going to find your real friends. This is what you're going to find out what happens. What do they want you to do? Do they want you to pick things back up in your hands and be a little... mitigate your relationship with Jesus? Or do they encourage you to run faster towards Jesus? Because the ones who are encouraging you to fully go after the call of God in your life those are the God friends you want in your life. Those who are telling you, hey, don't hope too much. Or, Come on now, somebody. Don't hope too much. Listen, we're just going out to have a good time. Do you have to bring up Jesus in the middle of dinner? You're like, well, yeah, I didn't leave him at home. I didn't, I didn't leave him at church, actually. He's actually here with me right now, and he's actually a significant part of my life. And, uh, you know, I'm sorry if he's not yours. You know, I understand you want to talk about cars all the time, but I'm around Jesus more than you're around cars. Does this make sense? And, and 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 so and so you when, when when you get on fire for God, you start you start wanting different things and you start looking for different things in friends. And I I can't go down this road too far because I have other things I want to talk about, but I feel a grace on this. Um here's here's how you know. Let um you gotta let your friends around you know that you're not gonna fall into sin with them. You you gotta let them know, you know, like I love you. And you know, I see what you're doing over there, you know. Like, yeah, I see it. I'm not going to get involved with it, right? And so here's how you know. Like, this is this is how you really know. Like, 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 Jesus is looking for a bride without spot or wrinkles, right? Point out a couple and see how that's received. Just see how it's received. Like, man, you know, I see how you're really upset about that thing. You think it might be, I don't know, offended a little bit, you know? You're like, maybe you know, maybe I want to help you out here a little bit. See if there's really iron sharpening iron here, or if you're just iron being dulled on on something else. Right? Right? Is iron sharpening iron or, or or is iron being dulled by a blunt thing that you want to drag around with you? Right? Like what what's happening now? Because one leads you to Jesus in the presence and the peace and the promises, and one leads you to not really care that you don't have the presence and the promises. And I, I want all the peace, presence, and promises that Jesus. Offers. Is anybody with me here? I have decided I'm following Jesus. Then you know who, who, who you are. Let them know. Otherwise, here's what happens. Here's what happens. If, if, if you don't continue to challenge, then the sick people who get healed um, become the religious people later on. Somehow thinking that it's their goodness that got them healed. Somehow they come from, 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 from miry clay. And Jesus does something in their life. Maybe, maybe they learn how to play a guitar and the anointing comes. Like, like we had this beautiful worship this morning. But she can choose what she wants to do with that presence, right? She, she can make this choice. Is it about me or is it about what God has done through me, right? And so what do people do with this gifting? What do people do with this anointing? Do they protect it by opening hands and say, look, if you see something in my hand that's not supposed to be there, let me, let, 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 let me know. Or do they somehow... Think I'm supposed to be on the stage? The moment I think that I am supposed to be here and you're supposed to be there is the moment I'm sitting in the seat of the Pharisee, right? Like I'm 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 Carl, and for some reason God, you know what happened? God decided, you know what? Who can I pick that'll really like show that I'm good? Like uh, I could I could use somebody rich and famous and organized, and uh, that you know they can just do a church on their own. I'll get Carl because if Carl does something worthwhile. You can only give glory to Jesus for that. Like, there's no way. Like, for the first decade of my salvation, people would, like, message me on social media and be like, are you really a Christian? I'm like, yep, yeah, I'm on fire for Jesus. I don't know what happened. I'll just live my old sinful life next time I know I'm preaching the gospel. I don't know what happened. Do not know what happened. They're like, really? I'm like, no, really. Like, really? No, really? Really, it, it happened. I don't, I don't know how. i really just doing my thing. And then Jesus saved me and... Uh, And they're like, and you're married. I'm like, yep, to one woman. Yep, no affairs, no nothing. Just, you know, she trusts me. And And they're like, well, God must be real. I'm like, he is. He really is. That's, that's, that's it. That's it. That's who I want to follow. God must be real kind of people. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's, that's what you got right here. That's what you got right here. So so, so as we go through Luke chapter five, sorry, I've already gone long and um, you're eating up my time here. So I need you to pay attention. I need you to flow with this here. I don't want to preach as long as I did last week. Okay, so Luke chapter 5. So, so, so Jesus is healing people. Uh, he's, he's scaring the religious. We get to verse uh, 27 here. And uh, in, in, um, he calls uh, Levi, right? So here, here we are. Uh, oh, wait, well Okay, he called Cephas at the beginning. I, I got it wrong. It's Levi now. I'm getting confused, all right? So we're in Luke, Luke 5, 27. It says, after that, he went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he left everything behind and got up and began to follow him. Now, that doesn't sound like a big deal, so let me kind of explain this to you. This is who the tax collectors were. The tax collectors, um, there was tax in each area that went to Rome. Okay. Now, Rome were the people who were occupying Israel. They had conquered Israel. They kind of let Israel have a little autonomy, but still, they let them know Who's boss, right? So imagine, I don't know, the enemy, say China, you know, or whoever you might think the enemy of America is, conquered our country. I don't, I don't care. China, Cuba, Mexico, doesn't really matter, right? Say, they, say, 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 say Deerfield conquered Boca, right? And, um, and they're taking all of our money, right? They're taxing us, and the money isn't staying here. It's going back to their country. And what they did was they said, okay, let me find some Americans who will collect the tax for us to send back to our country. And so what they would do is uh, the tax collector would um, bid on an area at the edge of the city, generally, and um, all the goods that came or went out of the city got taxed, and that tax went back to Rome, not to, not to Israel, got sent back to the conquerors. And they would pick somebody from Israel that you would bid, and you'd say, I tell you what, I will pay you $1,000 a year for this collection point. And so you paid them the $1,000 or whatever ahead of time. And now I get to tax whatever I want what's coming and going. Because now I am the tax collector. And so you know the tax is only $1,000 a year. But they're charging you way above that. So not only are they betraying their own people, they're making money off of it. It's, it's, they were hated. The Jews hated them. The Romans were using them. Like they, they, they weren't considered Jews any longer. They were worse than sinners. There were those who were transgressing against God. These people were transgressing against God and God's people. They were the lowest of the low, even though they were wealthy. This is who Jesus chose to be a disciple the least. Jesus would find the people. This is, this is, see, our God. Come on, somebody. Our God is just so much better than anything that we could come up with on our own. He's so much more gracious. He's willing to put his name on the lowest. He's just the most beautiful. He finds the people that are hated the absolute most. And he says, I'll make you my disciple. And so he tells Levi, the tax collector, why why, why, why don't you you come on and, and follow me? And the Bible tells us in verse 28, he left everything behind, got up, and began to follow Jesus. So, Levi, Levi had been this outcast. Even though he was wealthy, he was an outcast. Even though he had financial prosperity, he, he was poor. He was poor in socially. He was poor in spirit. He wasn't right with the Jews. He wasn't really a Roman. He, he was completely outcast. And Jesus says, I'll take that. I'll take that and I'll make some glory out of that. And so Levi was so thankful for this, he threw this huge party for Jesus. They called it a banquet, right? And so he got this banquet and he invited all his friends to meet Jesus. And of course his friends were other tax collectors because who else would be a friend of a tax collector than other? Because you know hood people connect. That, that's how it works, right? Like that's, that's the, you know, It is what it is, right? And so at some point in your salvation, you find yourself growing apart from your old friends That's because hood people connect. You know what I'm saying? And so at some point you're like, you know, I don't plan on cheating on my wife and I don't plan on hitting on your wife. So there's really no point in us, you know, hanging out anymore because that's who you are. That's not who I am. Right. And so but all the tax collectors are, are coming together. And so so he throws this huge banquet and at the banquet, Jesus is there sitting around the table. And in the way of teaching in these days, the master at the end of the meal, now we eat just to eat, right? We eat just to get food in our stomach. But there was this table fellowship that would happen. And lots of discipleship would happen around the table. And they would sit in these U-shaped tables And after big meals or feasts or whatever. They would gather in the middle. There might be dancing. There might be singing the Psalms. There would be, but there was this dialogue. There was this fellowship. There's this communion. This is what true communion is. And this is where you, you really know who you're around. This is where you learn things. Uh, uh, last week, um, I have a friend who uh, is a pastor of another church. And he was uh, he, he's a, uh, an associate. And he was going to be preaching that Sunday night. And he in- invited uh, Tracy and I to go. And it was a little different um, tradition than ours. But the Holy Ghost was there. I was screaming. I was having a good time. And uh, afterwards, he said, "Hey, the pastor wants to take us out to dinner," and uh, the senior pastor. And so we went to this diner. It was Tracy, myself, this this pastor, his son, the senior pastor, his wife, and uh, we ate our food. And we must have been there three hours, and we just sat there and we talked about the goodness of God. We talked about what Jesus had been doing. talked about We talked about what he'd been preaching. Talk about what I've been, we just preach, you know when preachers get together, you know this, we just preach to each other, we just, we just preaching, just preaching, at some point you're like the sermon has to end, like we got to go home now, like it's just, okay, we're we're done preaching now, right, and so, so if you get around real preachers, when you get around real preachers, here's how you know when you're around preachers, you'll hear this regularly, well you don't need me to preach to you, you know, that's how you know, because they will say that regularly to each other, after they preach to you, right, it's always after though. They give you the sermonette, and then they'll say, "But, but you don't need me to preach to you." I'm like, no, I didn't actually. But it was good to hear, right? And so we're there, and we're talking, we're having a good time, and we're just we're just chopping it up, as we would say. And uh, we just had this, we had this. It felt like biblical table fellowship, right? That that's that's like that that's got to be in your life. Like if you if you are um, single, get in a life group that's going to have some table fellowship, where you're going to have a meal and you're going to sit around, and you're going to talk about what's going on in your life, talk about the things of God. Like, this is biblical. This is where real discipleship happens. Real discipleship doesn't happen when you read a book, and I read a book, and we talk a little about... No, no, there has to be life on life. You have to be associated with the person that's being discipled. And so there's this life-on-life thing that Jesus is doing with all these tax collectors. And the Pharisees are like, and, and the scribes are like, what are you doing? What, what, why would you possibly? You're supposed to be some big deal religious dude. You're supposed to be this amazingly wise rabbi that everybody's trying to get their son into your rabbinical school. And now here you are with tax collectors? I'm like, we thought you were somebody. You, you, you sat under these other people. And now, if you're really somebody, you would be able to get better students than these. Understand what they're really saying here. If Jesus was really a somebody and worthy of being followed and all he can find for disciples are fishermen and tax collectors, come on. He can't really be somebody. But Jesus chose to build his kingdom on nobodies. Can you say amen? Aren't you thankful? Aren't you thankful he decided to build on nobodies? I am. So the Pharisees, we read in verse 30, they began grumbling. What you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Verse 31, here's what Jesus answered and said to him. It's not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not called the righteous, I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Now, we like to think of that Scripture as saying, these are the sinners and I am here calling them to repentance. That's how we in our Western mind like to perceive this. There are these Pharisees and, 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 and the scribes looking in through the window saying, what is Jesus doing with these, these, these tax collectors? And we like to think Jesus is saying, well, I'm having an outreach. And hopefully, if you pray properly, they will all get saved. But I want to challenge that a little bit. Here, real repentance looks like being with Jesus. Let me say this again. Real repentance looks like being with Jesus. And so they're all saying, what do you do with all these sinners and tax collectors? He's like, oh, well, I'm not, I'm, I didn't come for the righteous. Um, the people who are with me? No, it's the people sitting outside the window looking in that I'm actually going after. But you see, those who think they are righteous can't see the true righteousness of God. They're too busy judging everybody else to see their own sin. Okay, let me see that again. Maybe that, maybe that didn't land properly. The, the, the people Jesus is really coming after today, in this day and age, are the people who think they're better than somebody else. The moment you think that your Christianity has put you on a platform, you're already the people Jesus came for. You are the people He's coming for. You are the people that the Spirit is moving to convict. These are the people. The ones standing, pointing, those are the ones He is coming for. I feel like that's a good word right there. Fellowship around Jesus. This is what repentance looks like. You don't gather around wealth anymore. Levi just said, man, I'm, uh, you know, this Jesus guy. I think from now on I'm going to be gathering around him. I'm not going to gather around taking advantage of people. I'm gathering around the teachings of Jesus. These rich tax collectors, they they were part of the poor that Jesus said he came for. Jesus said very, very clearly when He stood up in, that, in, the, in, in the synagogue and read the Scriptures that He came for the poor. I came to preach good news to the poor. That included these rich tax collectors. It also included the spiritually poor Pharisees, but they wouldn't listen. Jesus being at the head of the table is proof of the repentance of the tax collectors. It is the proof that they have repented of their ways and have turned toward Jesus. We like to say repentance is just turning around. And in a completely clinical sense, yeah, repentance is going from one direction to going to another. But if Jesus is over here and you're going that way, and then you turn around and you go this way, that's not biblical repentance because you're still not going to Jesus. Real repentance is, I am now going toward Jesus. Jesus is at the head of my table. Jesus at the head of my life goals. Jesus at the head of my plans. I walk toward him. And the closer I get, the more I open my hands and say, whatever's in this, even my rich tax collector office is yours, Lord. Can you say amen? amen. This is what real repentance looked like. And these, these rich tax collectors, they were getting it. And Levi said, I'm going to use my earthly influence to get people exposed to the teachings of of Jesus. I have friends who have who've, who've lamented to me and they said, you know, we don't get invited to social events. People said we're too spiritual. I said, well, Jesus didn't get invited to social events either because he was just a little too much talking about God. And we get a choice who you want to be, who you want to be. You one of the people like, like, oh, I don't want to go down that road. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. Hallelujah. So Jesus being at the head of the table. Its proof of repentance now 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 they, like these these religious people um they fasted all the time, so the feasts were getting them offended anyways right so they 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 fasted like they fasted like twice a week, right like two days a week they would fast, and so they asked Jesus they're like, hey, you know um the disciples of john they 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 fast and um disciples of the pharisees uh they 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 fast um you know What's, 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 what's really going on? So we have to understand the Old Testament significance of fasting. Now, generally in the Old Testament, you fasted over two occasions. Uh, you fasted uh, either either in times of mourning or in times of hope. Now, if you've ever been in mourning, if you ever had like real tragedy hit you, that fasting is easy. Right? Like when, like, like when depression hits you, you only want to eat. Like, just call it a fast, right? Like, like I don't feel like, like I'm, just, I'm too sad for breakfast. The Bible says, just call it a fast. Like, 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 like I, I, come on, just make it spiritual. That, exactly. Like, I'm doing it anyways. Call it a fast. Like, and so, when, 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 in times of lament, they would call it, like, like, things are terrible. We're about to go to war. We're about to fight the enemy. I'm calling a fast. They're like, bruh, I wasn't going to eat anyways. I'm terrified I might get shot. I'm not eating anything, right? Like they, they, would, they would call these fasts. And it wasn't super duper spiritual. It was, I am unsatisfied with the times I am in and I cannot eat, right? That's the first one, that's mourning. Now, now the second one were times of hope. Now in both of these situations, it's a declaration that the times I'm in are not right. There is something wrong in the times that I'm in. And, and, and so Jesus went after this thought that fasting somehow made you more righteous, right? That, that, that fasting, the act, this religious act, somehow put you on a platform. Jesus was really big about getting people off of platforms. Have you noticed? Je- Jesus was like, listen, just because you fast doesn't make you any more righteous. You, you, you can't religion your way to righteousness. Amen. You can't can't religion your way to freedom. You can't religion your way to peace and joy. As a matter of fact, when the the Pharisees came out to see John the Baptist, he said to them, you little snakes. You are are baby snakes. You think that just coming and getting baptized is going to make you righteous? Watch this. John the Baptist said, you snakes, who warned you? You think this is going to make you right? He's saying, no, no, no. You want to be right? Now, this is the Bible. Don't get offended with me. I didn't write it. Amen? Okay. So he says to them, hey, you really want to be righteous? Um, You're going to have to give up your sins. You're going to have to do some things that prove that you've actually given up your sins. Well, what are those things? He says, "Uh, you know, if you have two coats, give one to the poor. If you got food, feed someone. Verse 12, he says, and then some tax collectors came to be baptized, and they said, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, don't collect any more than you've been ordered to. There is, this, there is this response to Jesus that affects how you live your life. And it looks like you help other people. Amen. Can you say amen? This is called righteous fruit. And so we don't fast to earn blessings or to make God do something. We, we don't fast because we're like, like I'm not going to eat until you do what I tell you to do, God. It, this it, it just, it don't, three-year-olds do that, right? And you're like, oh, you think that I'm going to give up before you eat. And no, I'm going to eat. I'm good. I'm good. And you'll get hungry, right? Like, I'm not eating. Well, I'll just sit at the table. Eventually, you'll want to get up, right? Eat, and then you can get up. Like, I, I, and God is like, hey, I got all the time in the world. And so, so he's like, we don't fast to earn blessings. So in, 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 in Isaiah 58, God addresses this. They're like, God, we fasted, and we did all these. They get all righteous with God. You ever get all righteous with God? Am I the only one? Have you ever gotten so upset with God you started lecturing Him? But I've been tithing for four years, came to church some months, bought a Bible, leather-backed. Come on, God. Why haven't you done what I want you to do? Come on, I'm not the only one. I invited somebody to church once, God. I did all this stuff, and now you should be thankful and helping me out. Why aren't you helping me out, God? Why aren't you helping me out, God? What's, 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 what's really happening here? He talks about this in Isaiah 58. Watch this. He says, he says why, they say, why have we fasted and you don't see? Why have we humbled ourselves and you don't notice? And he said, behold, on the day of your fast, you find your desire. Watch this. Watch this. This is important. On the day of your fast, you find your desire. Uh, you find your desire and drive hard all your workers. Behold, you fast for contention and strife and to and strike with a wicked fist. You don't act like you do today to make your voice heard on high. Let me, let, me, let me make this plain for you. If you've ever fasted, and I hope you have, and I hope it's part of your life. But if you ever fasted, like I, I can guarantee you, like I can guarantee that one thing will happen from your fasting. Like I, I, I 100% can, prom- can promise you. You're going to get hangry, right? You're going to fast, and you're going to get hangry. You're going to get really hangry. And about day two, like, so like on day one, you think like, this is going good. I'm experiencing God. I said it's going to be three days. Maybe I'll do seven. Maybe I'll do 14. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Day two, you wake up. You're a little hungry when you wake up, but you're like, my God, I might do the 40 days. I might do the full Forty days. At the end of this thing, I might walk on water. They might. I might clear out a hospital. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen at the end of this thing. But surely the skies will part. Then on day three, you hate everybody, right? On day three. On day three. Your breath stank, right? You're sweating all the time because you're detoxing. You want to kill somebody. Now the hangry set in, right? Now. Now the devil is manifesting all over your life, right? And and and, and so and God's question is: look, you're, you're fasting, but how do you act when you're hangry? Don't 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 let's not talk about what you how you acted when you decided to fast. How do you act when you're hangry? That that because he's like, that's what I'm after. See, fasting teaches you to act godly when you are hangry, so that when you're satisfied, it's a little easier to act good. Let me say that again. When you fast and you get hangry and you learn how to control yourself in the midst of wanting to hurt some people because you need a snicker bar, right? Like, it would certainly satisfy me right now. And now you're like, you know, texting your wife recipes. Pictures of cookies and stuff. I'm almost done. Just hold on with me here in a second. Come on. So you get hangry and God's like, see, when you get squeezed, you find out what's in you. That's when you find out what's really in you. You tell people, I'm sorry, I was angry. That's not really me. Oh, no, no, that's really you. The situation let us all see it. But now I've seen and you've seen now what you're going to do about it. Like that's because that's the real you. When you get squeezed, when someone comes to you and says, hey, bro, I saw this spot in your life. What do you do with that? That squeezing shows who you really are. Not this fake mask you've been wearing to church for the last who knows how long. It's what comes out of you. And so when you really want to go after God and you're like, I'm unsatisfied with the life I'm living, you go ahead and you fast so you get squeezed a little on purpose so you can find out what's really going on inside of you. Like the hangry comes up, right? And so, so, so there, there's like, um, we do this fasting so it's a little easier. But here's the deal. Fasting as an expression of hope that there is something better out there that I'm not experiencing. You see, there's mourning, I'm unsatisfied with what's happening, and I'm fasting because it would feel wrong to have a good time in the midst of this, so I'm not eating. But then there's fasting that says, I believe there's something better for me than I have right now. Don't, don't, don't let the enemy confuse you to say that you are complained fasting. Or I'm, I'm, I'm dissatisfied fasting. No, 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 no. It's I'm hopeful fasting. I'm fasting because I am not happy about what I see right now. And I am fasting to pull that hope into my present. I am believing for something better. This this hope, this hope latches on to the promise and it pulls it into your present. And so Jesus says to them in Luke 34: these people who think they're righteous and they're complaining about the fasting, he says, You cannot make the attendance of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them, can you? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and they will fast in those days. What, what does that mean? It's like, it's like, it's like maybe you're fasting because you believe one day God has a spouse for you, right? Like maybe that's something you would fast for. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you would. And then you get married and after the wedding, you're like, no, I'm fasting because I'm, I want to get married. And you're like, no, no, no. Why would you fast at a wedding reception? That don't even make any kind of sense. And Jesus is like, y'all fast for the Messiah. I'm here with them. Why would they possibly fast right now? Why would they possibly fast when the hope is in front of them? You see, we fall in the trap of religion that says everything is misery, and we missed all the feasts. Some of us are are, are completely missing the joy of our salvation because we have neglected the feasting. The feasting. Come on, somebody. The feasting. It is the feast that God has commanded us. There is a time for fasting and there is a time for feasting. These are times of remembrance of what God has done in our lives. We spend so much time meditating on what went wrong. We spend so much time thinking about our failures. We then think about how they happened and then we look forward And then we begin planning how the new failures will happen as if that's something worth looking forward to, right? And God is like, I tell you what, I know you better than you know yourselves. If I don't tell you, you are going to live your life in fear and disappointment. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to command you a certain number of times a year, you got to feast. You got to sit down and say, I'm just thankful that the Lord was with us in this season. I'm thankful that God delivered us from that to this. I am thankful that God is still my savior. I don't know what is happening in your life right now. I don't know. Maybe you are on the top of the mountain and you're like, I would feast today regardless. It would feel wrong to fast today. Things are so great. And in that I say, praise God in this season. But some of you are at the bottom of the valley right now. Some of you are in the pit and you have no way how to get out. And let me Gently suggest to you, it's time to feast again. It is time to throw a feast again. It is time to drag out maybe your old journals, some of the old promises. Maybe some of the, some, some of the victories that you got in God. And begin to read them and write them down and, and put them in a table. On the table and then have a feast in the presence of your enemies, and say, this is still my God surrounding me with His promises. And I say yes and amen to every single one of them. It's time to feast again. It offends the religious. It offends the devil that you would possibly be happy in the midst of your struggle. But I'm here to tell you, sometimes... Your way out of the pit is to remember the ladder God gave you last time. Sometimes the way out of your depression is to remember the word of courage God gave you the last time you found yourself in that place. You see, your God has not left you to fight battles on your own. Your God has not left you to try to figure things out. God God is, as I said at the beginning of this worship set, God is stripping away the false so we can live in the true. And sometimes the pit we find ourselves is the pit of disappointment we dug by following a false revelation of who Jesus really is. And in the midst of that pit, if you are at the end of yourself today, come on, somebody, if you are at the end of yourself, if you feel like God has completely failed you, if you feel like God did not fulfill his word, I'm here to tell you a good, 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 good word. You have come to the end of your false revelation in the true Jesus Christ who came to set the captives free, who came to rescue those who are bound, who came for those who are poor, who came for those who are sick, who came for those who are lacking, for those who are mourning to bring joy. He preaches jubilee. He preaches deliverance. He preaches life. He preaches overcoming. He preaches strength to those who are broken and he binds every broken hearted. This is the Jesus you will encounter in the midst of this pit if you will turn from your fasting to feasting. Come on somebody. Come on somebody. Stand with me if you would. It's no coincidence. The very next story Jesus tells is how do you handle the wine. And it's important to remember come on, I'm going to offend some spirits in here today so just give, give the pastor a little grace. I just want to teach what's in the Bible. Jesus seemed very concerned that we not spill the wine. He talks about there's different ways that you handle old wine and new wine. He's like, if you get a little tear, did you notice? Jesus didn't say, if you get a little tear on it, you know, pour it out because that ain't no good for you anyways. No, that's not what he said. He's like, oh, we need to patch that. We need to. We're not. We're not wasting the wine. Watch this. They want them to fat, They want the, 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 the religious. Want them to fast. He said, no, it's time of feasting. Because in the feasting the new wine comes, and I need you to know what to do with the new wine. When the new wine comes, don't try to put it in that old wine skin, thinking that it's come to make your old sorry sourpuss religious self just a little bit better. No, no, no. I have not just come to redeem your emotions. I have come to bring you a whole new wine skin so you can carry this new wine. I'm going to fill you with this wine of joy, this wine of peace, this wine of overcoming, this wine of victory. This come on. I feel like I'm preaching a little better than I'm getting. This is a good word, and if you will listen right now and let the Lord turn your your, your season of mourning into dancing, then the new wine will come as you come to him with an open hand and say, take what you need, Jesus says, I'm going to give you the new wineskin because the new wine would burst that old sour thing you've been walking around in. And in this new wineskin, there's going to be joy, not just for you, but for other people, not just peace for you, but peace for other people, not just overcoming for your pit. You're going to carry a ladder to lower it down to other people and show them how to get out of that pit into where you're at now. And then you both going to climb to a higher level. Can you say amen? Come on. I feel like God wants to do that for some people today, right now. I feel like his goodness is coming after some people this morning. What do you think? I feel his goodness is coming after some people this morning. Now, if you feel like you're in the pit, I feel like I'm dragging some people out of the pit right now, Tracy. Let me be honest. Duke, let me tell you, I feel like I'm fighting right now because some people have set up home at the bottom of the pit. But I'm here to pull them out of the pit. I'm here to let you know. I'm not going to walk by the pit and leave you in it. You come to the wrong church. This ain't the let's learn how to live in the bottom of the pit church. You came to Revival Life Church. And in revival means I'm coming alive in this season. I don't know what you've been going through, but life is here today. And the spirit of life is going to bring you alive in this season. I dare someone to hope right now. I wish you would. I wish you would just say, you know what? Everything in me says I'm, 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 I'm just getting comfortable here in this pit. But just go ahead and just, just, just try to hope a little bit. I know it might break something in you, but what's going to break is doubt and fear, and dependency on the enemy. Come on, it's going to break some. I wish you would just hope on something right now. Just just go ahead in your pit, and all the little voices that talk to you in the middle of the night, and open the cellar door, and just grab one of those voices that taunt you at night, and just drag it into the light right now. Just drag it into the light right now, and let the light of Jesus Christ shine on this thing, and say, I know you want me to fast. I know you want me to be sad. I know you want me to sit in sackcloth. But you know what? I'm going to eat too much at lunch today. Don't, I'm sorry if that offends you. But I'm feasting in the presence of Jesus today. I'm going. I'm going to call a feast and I'm going to invite someone. And I might even text a picture to someone I don't even like and let them know how happy I am despite what they tried to do to me. I'm feasting. I'm probably not going to do that. But I will put it on social media and quietly in my evil heart hope they see it. But but but. But I'm feasted in the presence of my enemies today. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Let's sing our like,
0: goodness is coming after me. Come on, His goodness is coming after you to pull you up out the pit. Come on. And your goodness is running come after me. Come on, come on, sing it. It's running after me. Your goodness is running after It's running after me. With my life laid down, I'm surrendered now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after. It's running after me. So here's a little caveat
1: now that you said that. Are you ready? Come on, are you ready? Are you ready? In Luke five seventeen, it says that one day Jesus was teaching. He's just teaching, and they're used to this. They're used to just the Pharisees teaching. Don't, 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 don't lay up on me now. Come on, keep playing. The anointing is rolling through the room right now. We're, we're only going up from here. There's no landing happening, right? It says one day he was teaching. There were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who had come from every village in Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. Let's just think of those of the people who want you to be sad and dead. And the Bible says... And the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healing. And the power, it don't matter what has surrounded you in this season, I'm here to let you know the power, come on, somebody, the power of the Lord is now present, right now, is present for Jesus to perform healing. Come on, sing it. Come on, and he is here right now in the midst of your singing. This goodness is going to heal. Come on.
0: And your goodness is running out. It's the Holy Ghost sneak attack. You didn't even know you are going to get healed today. Come on. Your goodness is running out. The shame comes off your life. The me. sadness comes off your life. With my life down, I'm now. The confusion in the name of Jesus. Everything. Confusion comes off your life. Your goodness is running out. Come on, declare out. it. It's Sing it, it again. Come on, sing it again. Your goodness is running out. Come on, it's going to overtake your sadness. It's going to overtake your, your poverty. It's going to overtake your strife. It's, it's going to overtake away. your depression. With my life laid down, I'll now. Come on, just surrender. Give, give it. Come on, come on, come on. Let it go, let it go, let it go, let it go. Your goodness is running out. It's running out to me. Father,
1: we love you today. We thank you for what you've done. Come on, give a clap offering to the Lord. Come on, give a clap off for the Lord. I wish you would praise him like he just did something in your life. I wish you would praise him like it's happening right now. It's happening right now. I've just moved from fasting days to feasting days. I wish you would celebrate him like he's the living God who brought hope into your life right now. And I just declare freedom over your life this week in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen and amen and amen. Give a clap off for the Lord. We love you and we'll see you next week.